While they're making their way out, let me invite you to take out your copy of God's Word or maybe turn on your device. If you're watching at home, we welcome you in. And we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. We're working our way through 1 John, the letter of John to the church. And, and we're kind of progressing through. Today we start chapter 4. We'll be looking at the first six verses of chapter 4. You know, when I was uh, told that I was going to be a parent, people start giving you advice. They start telling you things that you should know, and, and even there are books being sold about what to know when the baby's coming or what to expect, and, and, and people start trying to help you prepare for children. One of the things that I did not know that I would learn or have to become skilled at as a parent is investigative skills. I didn't know how much time would be spent in figuring out the truth. I didn't know that I would have to become a detective to learn who colored on the wall or who broke the lamp or who ate the cookies. I I didn't realize that I would have to become so inquisitive and intuitive to um, details. And what I figured out is if I were in charge of a police department or the FBI, I wouldn't hire anybody that's not a parent. Because parents know how to find the truth, don't we? I mean, we can suss it out, as they say. We can find it. We can ask the questions. We're looking for the truth. But you know what? Not just in parenting. Truth is hard to find. It's hard to find all around us. We live in a day and age where finding the truth is getting harder and harder and harder. And the truth is important. Now, I might need to know the truth of who broke the lamp, but I really need to know the truth of my medical report before I swallow a certain pill. I really need to know the truth of my bank account before I swipe my card at the Walmart grocery pickup, right? Truth is necessary to make decisions. And we live in a day and age where we're fed 24-hour news, Facebook posts, political spin. We even have fact checkers checking the fact checkers now. You can't even trust the fact checker of the fact checker, right? Write that down and quote it later, right? It's hard to know the truth. And here's what I'm concerned about. I'm going to be honest. And some of this has to do with the time of year we're in, the political season that we're in. But I'm concerned that the church, those who confess Christ, are more concerned with finding out the facts of a tax plan of a certain politician than knowing the truth of Jesus. I'm concerned we will spend more time investigating the science behind wearing a mask or not wearing a mask instead of studying the glory of Christ. I'm concerned that we want to find the truth in lots of areas while ignoring the ultimate truth is knowing and following the will of God. Brothers and sisters, anything you can give your life to in discovering the truth, anything greater than knowing and following the Lord, we have missed it. We have missed it. You can know everything about every fact of every situation that is running down the news channel. You can know all of the draft picks of your favorite team. You can know everything about everything. But if you don't know the truth and the facts about the Lord Jesus, you and I have missed it. We've missed it. And so for us, knowing the truth of God and his will and what he's calling us to is important. And I would submit to you this morning that you should spend, I should spend my investigative hours seeking out what the Lord has said and what he desires. 
This is the priority of the faith. And this is the problem in the church that John was writing to. They had been fooled by false teachers. They failed to seek out the truth. They failed to do some investigation. They failed to find what God had really said. And because they failed in that manner, they began to lead themselves the wrong way. And brothers and sisters, if we don't get the truth of God right, this is not about who we're voting for. This is about heaven or hell. This is about the weight of eternity and the message of glory. And so we must get the truth of God right. We must understand what God has said and what He desires. And that takes some work. You don't just stumble into the truth of God. You have to work. You have to be discerning. Now, I don't mean work as in you're going to find your salvation. God does that. That's through grace. But as we begin to find truth, we have to pour over the Scripture and pray to the Lord and commune with the church and begin to look for Truth, because we know, brothers and sisters, error is everywhere. False truth is everywhere. That's what John will deal with. Join me in John chapter one, verse uh, chapter. Excuse me, in First John chapter four, and let's look at how we can discover the truth, how we can find the truth, how we we can fight for the truth. Listen to what John writes in First John chapter four, starting in verse one. Beloved. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God or from many false prophets. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world. Verse 4, little children. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. The world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. But this we know, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray together. Father, This morning, Lord, we need to be reminded and we need to be uh, pressed and we need to be stirred that the ultimate investigation of our life is to seek you, to obey you, to follow you. Father, we want to one day stand before you on that great resurrection and we want to know that we tried, Father, as, as faithful followers who have experienced your grace, we've tried, Lord, to follow you correctly, to follow you rightly. And so, Lord, help us today because, Father, we confess we are bombarded with information. We are given all kind of information. And and even in the Christian world, we are overloaded with what uh, people say about you or, or what they think we should do. So, Lord, help us. Help us find the truth and follow it. Lord, Lord, I pray that even today, if your spirit reveals to us It reveals to one of us or any of us or all of us that that we have somehow stumbled into an error. Lord, make it so that we would see it. We would run from it. We do not want to be found in error before you and your glory. We want to be found obedient. And so, Lord, help us discern this morning. Help us see how to fight for truth, how to find the truth, how to know the truth when it comes to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some context is helpful again. Let me remind you, John is writing to a church that's had a fight. They've had a schism. 
There was a group of people who have come in and they had began to teach something opposite of the gospel. They had been teaching that Jesus was not God in the flesh, that sin is not really a big deal, and that you don't really have to worry about how you act as long as you come to the Spirit of God. You can read that in chapters 1 through 3. John is dealing with it and he's really kind of laying out how can you tell a real Christian from a, a fake Christian? How can you know for sure you've come to Christ? He's laying all of that out. But what's happened is, is there have been some that have come into the church and they've welcomed them in and they began to teach a false gospel and then the church kind of finally wakes up to it. They leave the church. And so now you have this fragile group of believers who've been snookered and taken advantage of, and they're trying to figure out how not to do this again. How do we make sure, John, that we don't fall gullible again to a false teacher? How do we make sure we don't get led the wrong way? How do we guard against that? And so he would simply give them in these first six verses a, a plan for finding the truth, how to know the truth. And so I'm going to give you four ideas this morning, four truths from the text that John gives the church and how to know the truth. How do we know if we're listening to something in error or listening to something that is from God? So truth number one, simply this, knowing the truth means testing every spirit, testing every Spirit. Now, we're not necessarily used to this language, testing every spirit. That seems kind of mystical to us. But John's premise is very plain. It's very clear. He's simply saying this. There are two spirits, if you will. There is the Spirit of Truth, capital S, the Holy Spirit, sent by God to reveal. And then there is Satan, who is sending out his spirits, little s, demons, twisting and working in order to pull us away from God. So what he's simply saying in the text, we'll see in a moment in verse 1, that we are to test the Spirit. He's simply saying is we need to know what's behind the words coming out of the mouth of the teacher, of the book, of the sermon, of the conversation. We would use this terminology probably in the law. We would say, what's the Spirit behind the law? We know what it says, but what was the motivation? What's behind it? What do they mean. So what John does is very first, he says, listen, Christians ought to be people who test the words that they're hearing, test the spirit. Look at verse one. Let's dive into it together. First, he says, beloved, I'm so thankful that he does that. I could see John who planted the church, who loved the church, who brought them the gospel. He could easily pick up his pen and say, you jugheads, you, you gullible fools. How could you do this? But instead he loves them. He cares about them. It's the church. He says, beloved, what I'm about to tell you is truth in love. Let me take a sidebar here for just a moment. In the church, we are to speak truth to one another. We are to hold each other accountable. But we should always remember that the goal of speaking truth to one another is to spur one another on to follow Jesus. And so when we have to hold each other accountable, let's do it with words like beloved. Let's do it with kindness. Mama said you catch more flies with honey anyway. Let's be nice when we're doing it. Some of us in the Christian faith, we tend to climb up on the ladder of, well, I'm just going to speak my mind. Sometimes you ought to keep that to yourself, right? We, amen. All right. The idea is that, that he says, I love you and I want to help you see this. I, I want you to get this right. Now notice what he says. Here's the command. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. He gives us this command. Test the spirits. Lay down the test. Don't be gullible. Don't be lost. Now, let me remind you what's happened in the context of the first century church. They didn't have the Bible like we have it. 
They had probably some of the writings of the Old Testament that were in the Jewish temple that they could access and read. They also had maybe a few letters from some of the disciples by this point, or apostles being circulated around. They might have read some of Paul's writings. They might have read uh, some of John's writings earlier. Their stories of Jesus, the Gospels would not have been recorded yet. So what they know of Jesus would have been orally passed down. And so the church is hanging on to whatever they can get given to them. And they don't have the internet to Google it. They don't have the cell phone to call somebody and ask for clarification. They sit isolated waiting on news. So when an apostle would come to town and say, I'm, I'm Timothy sent by Paul. Man, they would give him the pulpit and let him teach because he's coming to, to proclaim. And what's happened in the first century is that there were now false prophets going around. They figured out how to make it. We see this today. Brothers and sisters, you can turn on TBN and find somebody trying to get your money in the name of Jesus, right? They figured out it's a plan. It's a power play. I can show up, drop the name Paul, drop the name Jesus, and they'll give me the pulpit. I can begin to teach. And so what that's happened to the church, they've had these errors come in. And so John says, don't let that happen again. Here's what you need to do. Test them. Test them. Now the word test here, if you see it in your Bible, it means to weigh it. It means to decide. It means to examine it. It means to look at it. Even now, while I'm preaching this word and walking you through the Bible, you should be in prayer. Lord, help me see the truth of this. Help me see error that may be flowing. Help me find it. Let me make sure I'm following you. Let me see it with my own eyes. But he says, test in order to find it. The church does not have permission to accept everything. We do not have permission to accept everything. The gospel of Jesus Christ draws lines in the sand. The gospel of Jesus Christ makes declarative statements. We want to be a congregation or a church for Christ that is loving and accepting. But listen now, we do not sacrifice doctrine in order to accept people. We teach right doctrine so that people might be accepted by God. And so we hold to the truth. And so John says, test everything. I remember 18 years ago going ring shopping for my wife's engagement ring. We lived in Talladega, Alabama, and the nearest jewelry store was the Aniston Mall. They had two jewelry stores, a K jeweler and something else. Now, I had saved up all summer working for the Alabama Baptist RA, so I had a good $20 in my account, and I went to the jewelry store looking for that giant half, half, half carat diamond that I was going uh, to give her. She's from XL. They didn't even have shoes. It didn't matter. So the idea was is that we were looking for the diamond. And I learned everything I could about diamonds. I learned the five C's of diamond. First, you look for the carrot, how big it is. Then you look for the cut, what style it is. Then you look for clarity. Are there any flaws in it under a microscope? Then you look for color. That's is how yellow to white it is. And then you look for confidence. Do I trust that the jeweler's telling me the truth? I learned the five C's. I tested Let me tell you what I did. I found a diamond in the K jewelers that I really liked. But I found another one around the corner in the other store that was a little bit cheaper that kind of looked like the one at the K Diamond. And I didn't know how to put them together because they were in different stores. I kid you not. I walked to this store. I asked them about their return policy. And then I bought the diamond, walked around the corner to the K Jewelers and said, I just bought this. Let me see it next to this one. By the way, I picked the K Jeweler, the more expensive one. All right. <laughs> but I had, to, I had to test it. I had to hold it up. I had to see it. Is this over here by itself? Boy, it looks good. Sounds good. Boy, that sounds right. But let me test it. 
Let me lay it next to the measuring stick. Let me, let me, let me examine. This is what he says. Listen, brothers and sisters, there were many. You go back and read American history in 1949, when they, or 1849, excuse me, when they start moving out to California for the gold rush, there were many who went broke because they found pyrite, fool's gold. The idea is that we got to know what the truth is. And so John says, test it. Hold it up. Examine it. But I want you to see the word test and believe there. Look in the text. He says, test and believe. You could translate that actually the way it's written in the Greek. You test. You believe. They're imperative commands for everyone in the congregation. It's not my job to solely test the truth and then dribble it to you. It's all of our job to gather around the Word of God and find the truth and hold to it. We're all responsible for finding what is right and what is error. Now notice why he gives us this command. But then he gives us the reason. Look in verse uh, 1 again. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits so that you can see whether they are from God. Now notice the second part after the comma there. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now he's given us a clear warning. There are people teaching phony gospels. There are people teaching bad doctrine. We should not be surprised by this because the scripture is warning us. There are those who are trying to lead us away from the truth of Christ. Be on your guard. I'm reminded of Genesis 3 when the first sin entered the world. God had just declared his truth to Adam and Eve. He had created the garden. He had placed them in it. He had given them the rules to live by that they would be blessed. And sure enough, as soon as the truth got out of God's mouth, here come the false prophet. Here come the liar. Here come the one to twist it. Satan in Genesis 3 coming to change what God has said. They've always been among us. They're always going to be among us until the Lord returns and makes all things new. And so we must realize that we have to be on our guard. And the problem is we will take everybody at their word because we love people. And that's okay. In fact, when you read verse 1, John is being very positive in his Greek language. He's literally saying, listen, test them with the hope that it's right. Hold them up and make sure they're going the right direction. He's not trying to get us to be heretic witch hunters. He's just trying to simply say, if we get this wrong, we're going to be in trouble. So we are to test this. Jesus would remind us of this in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. I'll give it to you on the screen this morning. Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I don't think Jesus is pulling any punches when he writes that. Watch out. Beware, they're coming to destroy you. It will lead you the wrong direction. It will lead you away from the good news. And so we find it. Now, brothers and sisters, how does this happen in our life? Let me get practical for just a moment. Right now, you can turn on the TV and be flooded with preaching. And some of it is very, very good. I download sermons every Saturday night. I love it. I'm, that was a joke, by the way. Um, you're supposed to laugh to make sure you knew that was a joke, all right? The idea is that we're flooded with preaching. You go to the Christian bookstore and there are books on top of books on top of books on top of books. You scroll down your Facebook today and you'll see 1,000 one-minute clips from people's sermons. And if you only listen to that one minute, you'll think, boy, this is powerful. This is good. The problem is, is that the bookstore and the one-minute clips and the TV preacher, we might can find ourselves listening to it and then it can lead us away from the Lord. We have to be on guard. Every book at the Christian bookstore is not Christian. Every preacher on your Facebook page that makes one good point may not be with the gospel. They might have just made one good point in a one-minute clip. You can tell I'm on my soapbox now, right? Be mindful that Satan is twisting the Word of God in every direction. We have to be on our guard. I, I believe 
That if a heretic walked in here today and assumed this preaching position and began to tell you that Jesus was not God in the flesh and that he's not the only way to salvation, I believe every one of us would stand up and run him out as fast as we could. But I'm also confident that if one comes in and starts slowly bending and twisting and deluding and compromising, we might slowly find ourselves being nibbled away from the truth. You see, I, I don't believe Satan's going to walk in here and say Jesus is a liar, but I believe Satan will send a false prophet in here to say, did Jesus really say that? Is that really what he meant? We have to be on our guard. Truth number two for knowing the truth means this. Not only are we to test every spirit, but we are to testifying to the true Jesus. To know the truth, it is one who is testifying to the true Jesus. So I love how John writes this because in verse 1, he tells us we to test. And then verse 2 and 3, he says, oh, by the way, here's the test. Here's the examination. Here's how you know what to look for. He says, I'll give you the test. And so he does that in verse 2 and 3. Look with me at verse 2 and 3 as he gives us the test this morning in verse 2 and 3. Here's what he says. By this you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming and is now in the world. Now, he's dealt with this idea of Antichrist earlier in the text. He does not mean the one lawless man at the end times that will lead and unite people. He means the idea that anyone who's preaching something other than Christ is Antichrist. There are many false prophets twisting the gospel. But notice what he says. He gives us a test. How are we supposed to know, Pastor, what is truth and what is not? Well, brothers and sisters, Paul says, or excuse me, John says, the test is Christological. That's a big word for meaning the test rests on Christ. It is Christ. Christ is the test. The whole Bible is about Christ. The whole message of God is the love of Christ for his people. And so the first and ultimate litmus test for a true teacher, a true pastor, a true book, a true influencer on your life, a good Sunday school lesson, the first and only test we should start with is, does it tell me about Jesus? Does it proclaim the good news of Christ? Does it point me to the glory of the Savior, God in the flesh, who redeemed me and rescued me and drew me into his goodness? Does it show me Jesus? Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 2. He says, many, excuse me, by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come into the world. Now, old friend, uh, throughout history of the world, there have been many that have talked of Jesus. There have been many that have spoke of Jesus. There have been many who have climbed on pulpits and, and grabbed uh, uh, authority and have spoken on Jesus. Just go down the survey of religions in our world. Uh, to the Mormon, Christ is the brother of Satan, once a man who became a god, one of many gods. To the Jew, Christ is just a rebellious rabbi. Uh, to the Muslim, Christ is just one of the prophets. To the Jehovah Witness, Christ is this idea that he is uh, um, Michael the archangel, who when he came to earth became Jesus in the flesh. To to the Southern Baptist church member that never actually goes to church, Christ is somebody who visits on Christmas and prays when he's in trouble. Watch out now. The idea is, is that this is who we call Christ. To the atheist, Christ is a name you scream when you're cussing. But old brothers and sisters, to John, to John, to John, Christ is in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. To John, 
And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. To John, as many as received Him, they have the right to be called sons and daughters of God. To John, for God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that whosoever believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Notice the words that He uses in verse 2. This is Jesus Christ from God. You know what He's telling us? That when we confess Christ, here's what we're confessing. We're confessing first that He is Jesus. That's His earthly name. Meaning He is fully man in the flesh. One of us. Our perfect mediator. But then He says He is Christ. That's the name from the Old Testament, the Messiah. Messiah, the Savior, the Rescuer. He is the plan to redeem man. And then notice what he says, from God. You know what that means? That he's always been and he always will be. And that Jesus did not start in Nazareth. He did not start in Bethlehem. He is from eternity past. He is God in the flesh. And here's why John makes that clear. Because brothers and sisters, if you get Jesus wrong, everything's wrong. Don't preach to me your biblical view of X issue if you have Jesus wrong. I don't want to hear your issue about marriage, about life, about race, about tithing, about church attendance. Don't give me any of those biblical issues. Don't talk to me about baptism if your view of Jesus is wrong. And so he looks at the church and he says, listen, here's the test. Do they know and confess Jesus? Jesus is the test for the church, that we hold up Jesus. Brothers and sisters, he says, this Savior sent by God, the incarnation and the Christ are not secondary issues. They are the issue. It is the center of the text. Do they get Jesus right? But I want you to notice something here because John's words doesn't help us in the English language. Look at the text. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses. You see that word confess? John means total allegiance when he writes that word in the Greek. It doesn't just mean lip service. How many of you have ever had to say sorry when you didn't want to? We've all been down that road. And I remember my mama jerking me up. It was always my brother's fault, by the way. That's just, that's just biblical. But I remember my mama jerking me up and say, Corey, you say you're sorry. I'm sorry. Now, I didn't mean that, did I? I confessed it. I said it. It was lip service. But it's not what I meant. John says when we confess, we are simply just sowing with our mouth what our heart believes. It's an allegiance to follow the Lord. So, so he's giving us weight to this confession. You want to know if what you're reading, what you're following, what you're listening to is true? You want to judge the spirits? Here's how you do it. Do they confess that Christ is the Savior, the God-man, the rescuer, the plan for redemption? And even when they confess it, does their life show it? Do they have allegiance to this God? Are they living out what they believe? Are they displaying what they've confessed? Is their confession matching their lips? Galatians 1.8 would say this. He would say, But even if we are an angel from heaven, should we preach to you a gospel contrary to one who preached to you? Let him be accursed. Paul says if they bring you anything other than Christ, run away from them. Don't get near them. Don't find yourself going for them. We are to be in allegiance to Christ. This means more than words. Gary Berger writes it this way in his commentary on this text. He says, behind the creed is a person. And it is this person, Jesus Christ, that John demands our allegiance. It's one thing to say, I believe in Jesus. It's another thing to live like you believe in Jesus. And so he tells us, this is the test. Look for Jesus. Look for Jesus in their writings, in their words, in their influence. Look for Jesus in how they live their life. Look for Jesus in how they talk and speak. Look for Jesus. Is it changing who they are? Look for Jesus. Find yourself following someone in books or in writings or in teaching. Here's how you know. Have they decided to follow Jesus? No turning back. No turning back.
There's a third truth from the text in surveying how to find the truth. Not only are we to test every spirit and testify to the true Jesus, we are to trust the Holy Spirit. Notice with me verse 4. I love this verse. This is one we often quote together. And if you look at verse 4, it helps us here see the victory we have. Little children, there he is again being affectionate to us. Little children, you are from God. You have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. John reminds them that when you're with Jesus, you're on the right side. Now imagine how that would sound to this frail church that's been ripped apart. Imagine how good that news would be. They've had these powerful fake teachers come in with influence and they've, they've ravaged the church and they've taught the wrong thing and they've left and now there's this fragile group of Christians trying to figure out how to do life with the Lord and know what the truth is. And John writes to them and says, listen, I know they have silver tongues. I know they got a bigger following. I know they sounded authoritative. I know their bank accounts are larger than yours. I know the world is accepting them. But remember this, you're on the winning side. When you confess Jesus, when you have Christ, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You have overcome. Look at the word there, overcome. It means complete and total victory. You have Christ. You are right. That means, brothers and sisters, when someone comes to you with a false gospel, but their argument is good and you feel dumb and dumbfounded and confused, just remember this. When you have Christ, you have won. When you have Christ, you have victory. And I love the way he writes this because he's reminding us of something. There is not a cosmic dualism in the world. There is not a yin and yang theology in the world. God does not have an equal. When you have Christ, you have victory. And if you don't have Christ, you lose. There is no equal to God. And so when we confess Christ and when we come to Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the one who is sent from God, when we come to him, we have victory. And now what does he say? And now greater is he, he's referencing the Holy Spirit, living inside of you is greater than anything else outside of you. So what does this mean? This means, brothers and sisters, when you come to Christ, when you're saved by Christ, when your life is changed, the Spirit who informed John to write the Bible is the same spirit inside of you helping you learn the Bible. It's the same spirit that's illuminating the Bible to you. It's a living word. It's the same spirit that helps you hear and see what is right and true in the world. And so we can rely now on the Spirit. We can say with our prayers, Holy Spirit, help me understand what is true and what is error. Show me where I'm going the wrong way. Point out to me. Quicken my heart when I hear something that's not right. About six or seven years ago, we hosted a group of men who were uh, of many churches and community, and they were doing a kind of a once-a-month Wednesday night or Thursday night steak dinner men's Bible study, and good group of men, all denominations around the city, all, all around the church. And, and one of the men that night that was supposed to speak, I, I'm personally friends with him. I know that he loves the Lord Jesus, great man of God. He's not a member of our church. He loves the Lord Jesus, and he can also hunt a turkey. So I like him, and we're friends. And he was speaking that night, and he began to say some things about the Holy Spirit that just were flat wrong. They were wrong. He was in error. And as he began to speak about those things, it was not necessarily evil. It wasn't bad. He was just trying to use an analogy, and it didn't really work. And, and it was a little bit off, but it didn't ruin the night. Nobody there thought we should stone him or anything like that. He was a good brother trying to explain the Holy Spirit, which is hard for all of us. And it was wrong. And let me tell you what happened after that meeting. It's the greatest thing that I'm so proud of as a pastor. After that meeting, we had about 10 or 12 men at that meeting. And after that meeting, there were three that came up to me one by one individually and said, Pastor, that didn't sound right. Did that sound right to you? 
The next day, I had two text me and one call me and said, Pastor, I, I didn't quite understand what he was teaching about the Holy Spirit. That didn't sound right. That sound right to you. You know what that is, brothers and sisters? That's the Holy Spirit living in those men. That's the Holy Spirit showing them, wait a minute, that didn't sound right. That didn't sound like it lined up with Scripture. That wasn't quite right. Why? Because while I can try to get you in a room and teach you everything I know about doctrine, which wouldn't take long, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The Spirit who illuminated the disciples to proclaim Jesus and write the Scripture lives inside of you. So when you pick up your Bible and you say, boy, I can't understand this, remember that the God who wrote it lives inside you. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. So we must rely on the Holy Spirit to find the truth, to know the error. Intellectual truth is something that we often do. I, I don't need the Holy Spirit to tell me two plus two is four. But I need the Holy Spirit to show me how to follow and love Jesus. I need the Holy Spirit to press on me when I'm hearing truth and when I'm not hearing truth. I need the Holy Spirit to guide me in decisions and all kind of the things that I'm doing. And so it's more than intellect. It's spiritually seeking the Lord. Let me give you a fourth and final way to find truth this morning. Paul tells us in verse 5 and 6, excuse me, John tells us in verse 5 and 6 that the other way of, of finding truth means turning away from the crowd. Notice what he does here. He finally gives kind of one more test, one more way, uh, one more idea of knowing truth. Look, look at what he says in verse 4 and 5. Or excuse me, verse 5 and 6. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now notice what he does. He says there's two groups of people. There's two ideas here. There are those who have come to the test of Christ and believed Christ is who he is, and those who have come to the test of Christ and rejected it. And now we have two categories of people. And those two people come from two different places. Look there at verse 5. He gives us the origin. He says they're from the world. We're from God. We come from different places. Now notice what else he says. They listen to the world. They get their wisdom from the world. We get our wisdom from the Lord. And then he says, when they teach, the world follows them. And so what is he reminding us of? Here's what he's reminding us. It's just practical sense here. If the whole world is following it, watch out. If the whole world is going after it, watch out. Let me give it to you a little bit more practical. If the preacher's on Oprah's couch, be nervous. If the whole world is buying the bestseller Christian book, be nervous. If the clergy are gathering at the abortion clinic to pray a blessing, run. If the world is applauding it, be leery. Why? Because Jesus said in this world, we'll have trouble. Jesus was the perfect man, the God in the flesh, and they nailed him to a tree. Brothers and sisters, if we don't find ourselves at odds with the world, we might be in danger of following falseness, fables, lies. Well, look what he says. He says, when you preach false things, the world will like it and follow it. Jesus would say it this way, wide is the road to destruction. Many are on it. Watch out for the crowd. Don't get lost in the crowd. If someone says to you, the Lord spoke to me, the Lord said to me, if someone says to you, boy, I've discovered something new, be leery. Be leery. Why? Because Jude would tell us we hold the faith that's been once passed down through the church. That, that we hold the gospel. That we know that it's true. If someone says, I've discovered something new about God, be leery. Because God has spoken. He has spoken through His Son and through the prophets. It's written down. It's for us to see. It's for the Holy Spirit to enlighten to us. We don't want to get wishy-washy and follow every wind that blows. We want to stand on the truth that's once delivered. We want to know the faith. Listen 
with me, if you will, to what John Jesus says in John 8, 47. He says these words, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why they do not hear them is they are not of God. We are His sheep. We want to hear His voice. Brothers and sisters, I, I can't press to you the reality of this sermon more uh, than any other sermon in the day in which we live. We live in a day and age where truth is twisted in every direction. And in the church... And in the, in the kingdom of God, we have false prophets that have been sent out. Jesus warns us. There are false prophets. It's constantly, we cannot take a day off. You can't let your guard down. You must constantly be in prayer and seeking the Holy Spirit and pouring over His Word in order to spot the error and run from it. Because, brothers and sisters, listen now. If I get 2 plus 2 wrong, I fail a math test. I didn't have the truth. If I get following God wrong. If I get swept away in error, who might I influence? Who might follow me down that road of destruction? Parents, we, we can't afford to take our, our guard down. Grandparents, you can't afford to take your guard down. You have to pass truth on. Deacons, you can't afford to take your guard down. The church must be held accountable. Sunday school teacher, you can't afford to take your guard down because you've you got to teach the truth. You've got to hold them accountable. It must Fight for the truth. Can I give you quickly just practical steps? Let me just give you a quickly. Here, here's some application. How can you know the truth? On Monday morning, what can you do? Here they are quickly. First of all, know Jesus and His Word. Know Jesus and His Word. The old analogy is that when they're studying uh, how to spot fake money, they never study fake money. They always study the real money. They pour over the real money. They study the real money. So when the fake money comes in, they can spot it immediately. We must pour over and know Jesus. Many in the church are drifted away to false doctrines and false things simply because they lack the ignorance and because they, or they have the ignorance because they haven't read the Word. They haven't studied. You want to know how not to be carried off with every wind and doctrine that comes along the way? Read God's Word. He's given you the truth. Seek after Christ. Know what Christ Looks like, number two, connect with the local church. If you look in verse five and six, and we didn't really have time to flesh this all the way out, he's talking about crowds. He said, my people will hear me and walk with me. That's a gathering up of the sheep. And then he says, the world will follow their leaders and go that way. That means we are to be with the crowd of people go in the right direction. You want to guard against error, circle yourself with people who will help you guard against error. Gather up into the church. Gather up into the church that has a doctrine that they stand for and hold and will help each other see the right Direction and then number three, pray for the Holy Spirit to reveal to you not only truth, but error. Lord, help me see it. I'm going to pray for us now and I'm going to ask the Lord. I'm going to ask the Lord to give us wisdom to see where we might be in error. Maybe you're in error. Maybe it's a, a situation you're dealing with and you've been going about it the wrong way. You've been following the wrong scripture, if you will. You've been listening to the wrong spirits when it comes to how to handle it. Maybe you need to, to ask the Lord for wisdom in an error. Maybe you've been finding yourself influenced by things that are not of God. Maybe you're listening too much to the world, to the crowd, and not the Lord. Would you pray with me this morning, Father? I thank you so much that John writes for us in six verses some very hard but loving truth. God, we don't want to be people that get lost in error, and we are prone to it. We're prone to believe lies. We're prone to hear half-truths and run with it. We're prone to pass on gossip that's not true. We are, we are people from our father, Adam, 
that can get lost in fable. And so, Lord, I pray you would help us. That in every area of our life where we're constantly and diligently looking for truth, we, we look for truth in our, in our medical history, we look for truth in our bank accounts, we look for truth from our children as they answer questions. Lord, in every area of our life, we want to know the truth. Lord, help us not neglect that in our spiritual life, that's where truth matters the most. That we are to know Christ and His Word and rely on His Spirit that lives within us and gather with His people and help us not to get tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine and every wave of false teachers. Father, we need wisdom when it comes to what books to read and, and what songs to listen to. We need wisdom when it comes to what church to gather with that's standing on the truth. We need wisdom in how to instruct our children in the truth. And Lord God, we need You. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that you tell us in, in 1 John 4, verse 4, that the greater is he that lives in us and he that lives in the world, that you're with us, you're in us, you want to guide us. And so, Father, help us. Lord, I pray right now for every head that's bowed and those watching online, Lord, I pray that with humility, uh, each of us would pray, Lord, show us where we may be in error. Show us where we may be following the crowd. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And I offer to you an opportunity to respond. Maybe this morning you want to come and pray and just beg the Lord to, to give you eyes to see truth. Maybe you want to come and confess sin where you know you've been in error. You're walking in the way of the world and not of Christ. Maybe this morning you want to say to me, Pastor, I don't think the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I, I'm not sure I know Jesus. I've never confessed Him as Savior and Lord. I, brother, sister, I would tell you, you, you won't know truth apart from Christ. Whatever the case may be this morning, I pray as we sing together, you would respond in a way that would honor the Lord. That your confession of your mouth would match your lifestyle. Father, lead us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us this morning?